Good morning. Welcome this morning. So good to see you. My name is Chris. I'm the campus pastor here at Milestone McKinney. And as Alex said, if this is your first time, thank you so much for joining us. We know each and every week it's someone's first time. That's a big deal to us. And if I hadn't had an opportunity to meet you just yet, I look forward to meeting you after service. Well, we are continuing in a series called Subject to Change. Uh, So I'm going to ask you, open up your Bibles, Numbers chapter 16. Uh, But before we get there, I want to just celebrate just on the back end of uh, just kind of that moment of prayer and celebration about what God has been doing in Elevate. It really is so significant. And uh, when we were in here, just kind of they were, the band was rehearsing and they were kind of going through what they were going to say. And and even as I was talking to Addie, who is uh, the young lady up here sharing, just the significant importance of what was what was actually happening in this moment. I think sometimes when we hear things like this, we see pictures like this, we actually don't really resonate and recognize what God is actually doing. And the power of what was happening is as Addie was sharing, I was asking her earlier uh, uh, during rehearsal, I was like, well, so how did all those kids end up here? Why are they coming? Well, they're having fun, this, that, and the other. And, and all of it was true. And then finally her mom kind of leaned over and was like, you? I said, exactly. You invited them. You stepped out, probably a little nervous, but you stepped out in faith and you had, there was an invitation. And because of that, as she said, friends started inviting friends, started inviting friends, and people are getting saved. That's what it looks like to reach people and build lives. And so I just want to celebrate uh, Addie, all the students that have been coming, all the students that invite. We had one student, uh, actually, <clears throat> he was speaking to Alex. He's like, man, I really want to invite my basketball team. They showed up with donuts, had all these invite cards. And it's like anything else. When you look in the New Testament, Paul says that you plant seed and you water seed. God gives the increase. God is giving an increase, not just in the next generation, but in Milestone McKinney. And just watch what begins to happen because there's a harvest coming as we begin to continue and for some of us begin to reach people and build lives. Families are going to be impacted. Lives are going to be impacted. Generations, families are going to be transformed because that's what happens when a church comes together as in everyone church. Every part plays its part. And when every part plays its part, the Holy strengthened. What begins to happen is significant. So I just want to celebrate that again. Just so excited. These are some of the pictures. I mean, they're having fun and confetti. So if you see confetti falling, it's not the Holy Spirit. It's just confetti. And maybe the Holy Spirit. I want to limit God. Okay. It might be confetti. We still have confetti. It periodically falls down. So very grateful for them celebrating all that God's doing in the next generation. Well, as we look at this, uh, at this story and this series that we're in called Subject to Change, you know, Addie mentioned it, talking about being in transition. We've all been in transition. And if you're new to this series, you may be wondering, why are we talking about transition? Why are we talking about change? Well, the truth is because we all go through it. We all experience it. And the reality, though, is that we don't necessarily navigate change as well as we think we do. At least I don't. And maybe you figured it out. If you have, see me after service, pray for me, okay? Uh, we don't navigate change really, really well. Not as well as we think. And we're looking at the people of Israel, and, and as we're looking at this story, there's, there's this journey that they're taking. And what we're recognizing is this principle that as God begins to do things in us, he, and in fact, he wants to do things in us, he's going to do it by bringing about change. I've yet to find a moment where God's wanted to do something significant in me, and it didn't require a measure of change. 
things that he's addressing in my heart and my life, things that I have to embrace, things that maybe are a way in which I operated that I need to mature and grow in, and things that I may not operate in that I need to mature and grow in and begin to operate in those ways. And we're looking at the people of Israel, and the backdrop is the story of them being led out of Egypt. They were enslaved in prison or uh, in slavery, and they were in captivity. And I've uh, been showing you this map, so by way of review, this is going to be familiar to you as we've been in this series. But if you're new, we've been looking at this kind of map of them being in Egypt and God saying, I want to lead you to the promised land. Anybody uh, want to be led into a promise that God has for you? We all do. Well, God says, I'm going to do this, but I'm going to lead you on this journey. And as a part of this journey, you're going to navigate through this area called the wilderness. Now, you got to walk through the wilderness, but you don't have to wander through the wilderness. And we talked about, as we've looked at this, that the unique nature of this is that it was only an 11-day journey, but it took 40 years. There was 2.5 million people that left Egypt, but only two of the original 2.5 made it into the promised land. And as we looked, we've been looking at these situations and these circumstances that have been happening in the wilderness. I mean, crazy things like cloud by day and fire by night. Manna, which is like bread falling from heaven as God provides. We've been noticing that in those moments, we tend to have this tension inside of us. And we looked a, a few weeks ago at the golden calf, the, this idol that the Israelites create. And they, they, they are seemingly going, hey, we want to put our trust in something other than God. Although what we see through this whole journey, God's been faithful. He cares. He sees, he knows. You're in the middle of transition right now, perhaps. Change, things are hard, it's challenging. But God is with you and he's for you. Because here's what I've learned in my own life is that when change happens, sometimes it's the byproduct of prayer. I'm praying, God, do a work, make a move, do this, do that, and change begins to happen and it looks a little different than I thought. It may be a little more challenging than I thought. But sometimes change comes about because of challenging circumstances. We didn't ask for it. We didn't do anything to deserve it, perhaps. But we're going, why did this happen? What's going on? And, and so we've been looking at this, this, this group of people and the things that they've learned. And here's what I want to highlight again for you. When you look into the New Testament, because you go, well, Pastor Chris, this is Old Testament. I mean, that's a great little story, illustration. Isn't it a little more historical than actually uh, applicable? And, and how do I take that to my life? Well, here's what I want you to understand. Uh, most of what happens, again, Moses is even a type and shadow of Jesus in the New Testament. So much of what begins to happen is really a type and shadow of what actually then, in, again, happens in the New Testament. So you got to read the Bible in its entirety, and perhaps for you, this has been new. You've been diving into the Word in a different way than maybe you have before. But when you read about this story, in fact, there's multiple times in the New Testament that this story is referenced. We, we saw that actually in Hebrews early on in this series, that when Hebrews references this, the writer of Hebrews actually says, listen, you want to know why this story is here? Learn from their example. Learn. Learn that you're going to go through challenges, you're going to go through change, but you can navigate it well. You can navigate it based on God's principles and His truth and His word. And so what I want to talk to you about today is, is something that can happen to all of us. We're all prone to it. And, and, and it can happen when we begin to push pause on what God's wanting to do in our life. You see, because the people have, have camped out here at, at Mount Sinai now for two years. So they went from camping to living. 
okay? They just say, we're just going to post up here. And there's something that begins to happen when we begin to push pause on what God is wanting to do in our life. And what I want to talk to you about today is Korah's rebellion. Now, you, you may think, of, man, rebellion, man, whoa, wow, Pastor Chris coming strong today. I mean, we're talking about rebellion. We are, we're going to look at that, but we're really talking about the principle that goes along with that, correction. Now, even then, you're like, whoa, Pastor Chris, like, you ain't doing any better. I mean, you just hit rebellion and correction. I don't know. You're going to start checking your fantasy football lineup. Don't check out just yet, okay? Because what I want us to understand and recognize is that God's wanting to do something in and through us through this, and there's a lesson for us to learn. I think about Proverbs. Proverbs actually talks a lot about correction. It's a principle that navigates. And I want to share with you probably one of the most encouraging scriptures. Maybe you've ever read Proverbs chapter 12, verse 1. We'll throw it on the screen. You can open up your Bible. It says, whoever loves discipline loves knowledge. But whoever hates correction is stupid. I mean, it's in the Bible. In my house, we're not allowed to say that. If I say stupid, maybe I get upset at the dog. I have been... I'm human, please forgive me. I've been known to call our dog stupid, okay? She's not, baby. I'm, but my kids, they'll get on me. Oh, Dad, you said the stew word. Because they can't say the whole word, right? The stew word, that's what it is in our... You can't say... But it's in the Bible. It's right there. Well, what is he saying? The writer of Proverbs is saying, listen, when correction comes, there's knowledge that you have. But if you push against correction... Essentially, you're missing the wisdom and the things that you need to be able to apply to life, to be able to navigate it correctly. And so God's wanting to give us wisdom. He's wanting to give us perspective. And, and the truth is, it's because as we walk through change, it can be unsettling. Have you ever been in a situation where things are a little unsettling? I was a little unsettled yesterday. Okay. My longhorns. That second half. Okay, you just got to pray for your pastor. Wendy told me later in the evening, she said, a lot of people have been texting and calling me, asking how you're doing. I was like, I need Jesus. I really just need him to touch my life, my soul. I'm like, Lord, this is a problem. Why is this bothering me as much as it is, you know? I was in a text thread. I don't know. It's not good for my I was in a text thread with an Arkansas fan earlier in the season, and then there was an OU fan in there as well. It was just not good. It was not good. Then I woke up and hoping I don't like Alabama necessarily much more, but I, I like them more than the Aggies. The Aggies won. It's like, Lord, what are you trying to teach me, Lord? You're just correcting my soul, my spirit. I receive it. I don't want to be stupid, Lord. I receive it. Give me wisdom. <laughs> you know, but I love, you know, the OU-Texas rivalry. It's challenging. It's been challenging for us for like a couple of years. But, but outside of that, there's a Texas State Fair. If you like fried food, it's great to go to the Texas State Fair, but they also have rides at the Texas State Fair. You know, you got the Midway, you got the ride, you got Big Tex, you got the Ferris wheel. It's unique about nothing against anyone who may be, you know, in, in the carnival business. You have family in the carnival business, but there's something unique about those rides because, you know, you're like, this is going to be the most exhilarating time of my life or this could be the last moment of my life. I mean, is this thing, is this thing really safe? Is it really? I mean, did somebody, that guy who's checking me, did he really check the bolts on that? I don't know, man, because he really didn't check the height of that little kid that walked through me. Did he actually check that thing? And there's one ride right in front of the Cotton Bowl. <clears throat> Maybe you're familiar with it. Maybe it's one of your favorite. It's this ride right here. It's called the Pirate Ship. You ever been on the Pirate Ship? Now, when you get on the Pirate Ship, it can get a little unsettling, okay? I was on a pirate ship once. 
And it got a little unsettling. I was already a little unsettled. I was uneasy. I mean, I don't mind rides and roller coasters. Maybe you're like Wendy. Wendy's like, ah, give me a, she wants all the way. She don't care if it's safe or not. She's like, I'm getting on a carnival ride. We could be driving to a very important meeting. If there's a carnival, okay, detour. We're going to the carnival. I'm going to catch a ride on the way to wherever we're going, okay? I'm like, those things aren't safe. I got on this thing, and I knew better, but I was smart. I got on the, I got on the side, and I'm there, and we, we start off, and it's not too bad. It's kind of like a baby swing. I feel like, like it's back when I was a little one. All of a sudden, we get a little higher, a little higher, and I'm trying to find, you know, they tell you, find an anchor point because I'm starting to get unsettled. Well, let's just say after a little bit, things got real unsettled. And essentially, everybody that was at the bottom knew what I ate for lunch earlier that day. I know, I know, I know. You're thinking, golly, really? It it was bad. But can I tell you something? That's what happens when we go through change. Things begin to happen. You feel unsettled, and you're like, man, I'm about to lose my lunch. I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. And that's where the people of Israel were at. They are unsettled in their soul, and they begin to take things into their own hands. The Bible calls it rebellion. You you may say, well, it was a coup, it was a disagreement, it was a misunderstanding. No, the Bible says it's rebellion. And we're going to look through this morning, what is rebellion? What does that look like? What does that mean? It's rebellion. And so as you look at this story, you know, it's hard because when we walk through change, change makes us emotional. It makes us sensitive. It it makes you compare with others and you begin to question. It can make you guarded. And in the the middle of being guarded, you may even in in turn deceive yourself to think that you're being wise. It actually isn't wisdom. There's a difference between wisdom and being guarded. And we're going to look at that. You become guarded when you're in the middle of change and transition. And that's where the people of Israel were at. They begin to rebel against Moses. And what we have to understand is they weren't just rebelling against Moses and Aaron. They're actually rebelling against God. And so as we look at Numbers 16, verse 1, we have to understand, okay, the people aren't just out there having a tough time. They're impatient. They have food. They have everything they need. They're provided for. They got food. Okay, they they have the Ten Commandments at this point. They built the tabernacle, so there's a place of worship. All right, they, they, they have a, again, they got shade in those hot days, all right, at night, if they're scared, they're a little worried, because it can get dark out in the middle of the desert at night, guess what, they got fire there to bring peace and comfort, so God's with them, so they're not just in the middle of this, this situation where it is just terrible, it's just a situation they don't prefer, you see, you may be in situations you don't prefer. And so what I want us to understand is we read this, we have to recognize, hold up a little bit, I'm in this story too. See, because you're going to read this as I share it with you and go, oh, that's good, that's history, great example. No, no, no. Remember, the writer of Hebrews said, let's learn from their example. So let's do that. Numbers chapter 16, verse 1. It says, Korah, son of Issar, and the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, and certain Reubenites, Dathan and Abiram, sons of Eliab, and own son of Peleth became insolent and rose up against Moses. But they didn't do it by themselves. Here's what you got to recognize. With them were 250 Israelite men, well-known community leaders who had been appointed members of the council. 
I want you to just for a minute recognize the group of people that are here. First off, Korah was a Levite, which means he was like a priest. He understood where they were at. He understood what it looked like to serve the people, to sacrifice the offerings to the Lord. And yet, what does he do? He doesn't just get a band of just outcasts. He gets community leaders and people of influence. And he begins to seed rebellion in them. Verse 3, it says, They came as a group to oppose Moses and Aaron and said to them, You've gone too far. This whole community is holy, every one of them, and the Lord is with them. Why then do you set yourselves above the Lord's assembly? What are they saying? Basically, we're challenging your leadership and your role. We don't like the process. We don't like how long it's taking. And you know what? We don't think we really like you. Watch Moses' response. Verse 4, when Moses heard this, he fell face down. I don't know about you, that encourages me and it challenges me because I don't know, I I don't know if I would have laid face down. I would have been like, well, let's go. Let's talk about it. Let's let's get at it and and be a little confrontational, okay? That wasn't Moses' response. He goes before the Lord. He petitions God. He's grieved about what's happening. We pick up in verse 12. It says, and Moses summoned Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Elah, because what's he wanting to do? He's wanting to, hey, let's talk about this a little bit. But it says, They said, we will not come. Verse 13, isn't it enough that you've brought us out? Here's the reply. Isn't it enough that you've brought us up out of the land flowing with milk and honey to kill us in the wilderness? And now also you want to lord it over us? Can I tell you something? When you're in rebellion, you don't see things correctly. Where were they? They were in Egypt. There was not milk and honey flowing in Egypt. And it's amazing when you're in rebellion, you begin to see things inaccurately and you don't see it appropriately. Verse 14, moreover, you haven't brought us into this land flowing with milk and honey or given us an inheritance of fields and vineyards. Do you want to treat these men like slaves? No, we will not come. What are they saying? Hadn't happened on my time. Hadn't happened as fast as I wanted it to. So you must be the wrong guy. You must not be it. Verse 15, then Moses became angry. Now he's kind of had just a little bit. And said to the Lord, do not accept their offering. I have not taken so much as a donkey from them, nor have I wronged any of them. Now Moses, Aaron, and God all have responses here. But I want to show you what happens. Because something unique that happens in the word of God that doesn't happen anywhere else in the Bible happens right here. In verse 31, look at how this story ends. As soon as they're having dialogue, Moses calls him to the tent of meeting, and they're trying to have conversation about it. In fact, there was a moment where Moses said, hey, I understand. You think you're holy, and, and I've got it wrong. You've got it right. Why don't you take a minute? Go, 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 go take a minute, and I want you to, let's sleep on it. We'll come back and visit. We'll see what God has to say about this. So they come back. They're meeting. Verse 31, as soon as he finished saying all this, the ground under them split apart. And the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them and their households and all those associated with Korah together with their possessions. I mean, that's crazy. Radical. The earth opens up, swallows them. Now, you may be thinking, why, why are we talking about this? What, what, why? Because I want us to understand rebellion is serious. God takes it seriously. Look in the New Testament. Jude chapter 1, verse 11 says, Woe to them. They've taken the way of Cain. They've rushed for profit in Balaam's error, and they have destroyed and, and 
and have been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. You see, right here, Jude, in Jude, he's addressing false teachers. He's saying, listen, you've got it wrong. I want you to recognize the importance of this. You see, what Korah was doing and this group of people wasn't like, hey, I don't really understand. Help me understand. It wasn't, I'm having a hard time. Can you help me know how to process this correctly? And it wasn't Moses going, hey, you can't have an opinion. Do what I say, when, where, and how I want, to do, I want you to do it. Now, you may be thinking, I mean, come on, Pastor Chris, really? Well, here's what we have to understand. In this context, we begin to see that, and we all know people like this, people who are humble and teachable, they navigate change better than people who are prideful and rebellious. And we have this contrast here in this story. You're thinking, Pastor Chris, I mean, are you feeling like, you know, like, man, I, uh, you know, are, are you, do you think the church is, are, are we following you? Are you, are you do you feel, no, I, I think we're doing amazing. I, I'm not sharing this because I think you should be doing more of what I have to say. I'm just simply wanting to show you the principle out of God's word and how it applies to our life. What I want you to see here is the question isn't, are you doing everything Pastor Chris is saying or the leader is saying? That's not the point of the story. What God is saying is, do you have the ability to be teachable and humble? Think about what we're talking about. Change. Can I tell you, in the middle of change, you want to know what the temptation is? Double down on pride. I'm going to do what I want to do, when when and how I want to do it, because I want to insulate myself. I want to guard myself. I don't think someone else, much less God, knows what's best for me. I'm going to do what I think is right. And God's saying, no, 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 I want you to have a teachable, humble spirit, because when you do, you navigate change completely differently. You see, God, you you may be going, is God, like, going to go around and, like, is he still swallowing people up to date now? But I'll tell you what is, the enemy is swallowing people up left and right because they operate in pride and rebellion, going, I want to do what I want to do, when I want to do it, because I, and there's lots of reasons. We're going to unpack why we may respond that way. Now, remember, recognize the context of what's going on. They're in the middle of change. It's not happening the way they want. It's not happening as fast as they want. It's unsettling. They don't understand. They disagree. It's okay. All of those things, is it okay to feel those things? Yes. Let's be frank and honest. It's like when I have conversations with my children. It's okay to be upset. It's okay your sister bothered you. It's okay to even feel like you want to yell at them, punch them in the face, pull their hair, whatever it is. But don't do it. You can respond correctly rather than react inordinately. But when we're in the middle of change and we start feeling that pressure, the temptation is double down on pride. I'm going to do what I want to do. Think about it. Look at it with you. If you. Those of you have kids, those of you have teenagers, you see it in their life. And that's why you're trying to navigate these conversations. But in the same hand, what are you doing? You're hoping there's other people in their life. You're trying to get other people in life that are speaking God's word, speaking truth, and encouraging them. Why? Because you start to recognize it in your own kids' lives. But can I tell you? It's not isolated. When you think of rebellion, you think, oh, yeah, it's a rebellious teenager. You think it's just teens. These are grown adults living out full-on rebellion because that's an issue of the heart. But God's saying there's a better way. There's a way in which you can navigate this because we live in a culture that glorifies being a rebel. It's cute. 
It's noble. Be a rebel. Be different. Look at that. Time out. Time out. There's a difference in what that looks like. That's why I love, you may wonder, and, and I want and Alex said it, and I'll say it again. You're never too young and you're never too old to do something great for God. Because you can see and hear us celebrating what God's doing in next gen and go, well, you know, I don't have kids in that age demographic, or I'm beyond that, or I'm old. There's not a place for me. No. There's a place for you. It could be praying and believing. It could be an encouragement to those that are a little behind you and you help them. You help parents navigate what it looks like to navigate relationships with their teens. Maybe it's because of what you learned through painful circumstances or what you learned through wisdom. There is a point in which you recognize. But I'm telling you, why do we celebrate that? Because a 14-year-old up here inviting her friends, 20 kids coming from her school, and two of those kids giving their life to Jesus is different than what the norm of this culture is. A bunch of kids, almost 100 kids here on a Wednesday night, listening to worship music, learning how to praise Jesus, hearing God's word, receiving prayer, experiencing freedom, enjoying, I don't know about you, but I would, I hate to say, when I was their age, that's not where I was at and what I was doing. My Wednesday nights and Thursdays and Fridays and Saturdays all looked a whole lot different. But God's doing something new in the earth. We live in a culture, though, that's going, nah, 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 be a rebel. Don't let anyone tell you what to do. Don't. Here's the problem with that. The truth is sometimes we've experienced difficult things with people or authorities in our life, and sometimes that's why we operate the way we do and we isolate. I'm not minimizing that. That's very real, and it is very painful, Okay. But what happens is what's at stake is the enemy is ultimately trying to plant a seed to not push back against an individual person, a human. Because when that seed of rebellion comes in you, what begins to happen is you push back against God. Meaning no one can talk to you. No one can tell you otherwise. And God doesn't know better because God is wanting to withhold from you. Which is the lie that he began with in the garden. So, so how do we do this? How do we navigate? What does it look like to have a teachable spirit? Well, here's the first thing. If we're going to have a teachable spirit, because that's really the goal. It's not about, oh, Pastor Chris is preaching about rebellion and correction. Don't be rebellious. That's not, it's not about don't be this. Let's look at God's word and see what would happen had Korah and those individuals had a teachable spirit. They, they received correction and instruction from God or from Moses or from Aaron. And what would they learn through that? Well, here's the first thing. If we're going to have a teachable spirit, we need an accurate view of God. What was God doing through this whole story? He was patient. He was loving. He was kind. He, he, he tells Moses, tell the people, hey, go sleep on it. Good parenting move, by the way. When your kids do something foolish and you're like, I'm going to crack some skulls right now. We just get, go sleep on it. Have them go say, I want you to go sleep about it. Let's talk about it some more. That's not to say, again, when you talk about it, it's not to say there's not consequences. It's not to say there's not spankings, okay? It's not to say there's not grounding. It's not to say that there's not consequences for the decisions they make. But that's a good parenting move. Hey, go sleep on it. You sleep on it, and they sleep on it. Take a minute. See, that's what God was doing. He was patient. He was patient with them in the middle of the rebellion. They're going, we don't like you. We don't like this process, and we don't like how long it's taking. I mean, that's pretty harsh. That's essentially what they were doing. But here's what we have to recognize. From the garden to Noah to Abraham to Israel coming out in the Exodus to Judges 
to once they're in the promised land, on and on and on, all throughout the Bible, there is this pattern. Here's the pattern. First, that God has a plan for your life. God has a plan. He has something in store for you. You may not see it. You may not understand it. But he has a plan for you. And it never fails. Here's what begins to happen in that pattern. We rebel. We rebel. It's in our nature. It's a sin nature. We push back. There's a couple of reasons why we rebel. We rebel because we're unsure and we don't know and, and we want to be independent. But what ends up happening, happening is we end up just simply isolated. So, so we rebel against God. And then what happens is because we think we're pursuing independence and we end up isolated, now we're in bondage. We're in bondage. Sometimes we're not just in bondage. That bondage looks like captivity. You want to know what captivity is? Limited freedom. You ever seen a dog on a leash in the front yard? Man, they look ferocious. They chase after, and then they hit the end of that leash, don't they? And they yank back. You've been living your Christian walk with God that way your entire life, feeling I can get to one point, and then I get yanked back because you're living in captivity. Bondage. God's wanting to bring freedom. But what happens is the enemy deceives you. Oh, I'm not locked up in bondage. I'm not wrapped up in like the big, you know, three, the big five sin buckets, you know. So I'm okay. But you're living in captivity, which is just a different level of bondage. But here's the pattern. It doesn't stop there. We get rescued. God loves us. I'm so glad. When people say, oh, I'm so grateful for the God of a second chance. I'm like, he ain't the God of a second chance. He's the God of another chance. And another, and another, and another, and another. Because if he stopped at two with me, I'd have been done a long time ago. Does that mean that we become abusers of grace and I can just go do whatever I want to do and God's going to forgive me? He will forgive you when you genuinely repent and turn from your ways. But therein lies the question, did you actually turn from your ways? Secondly, it also doesn't mean that you won't experience the impact of the consequences of the choices you made. So what happens is we end up in this cycle over and over. God, all right, here's your plan. I rebel. I don't like the timing. I don't like the way it looks. I end up in bondage. Why am I struggling? I can't seem to move forward. God rescues us. But something begins to happen. Jesus comes in because Jesus was the only one that broke this cycle. Jesus comes in and he begins to change. He begins to bring freedom. He begins to bring healing. He begins to bring wholeness. And he disrupts this cycle. And if we will recognize that when God in his loving kindness, when he comes to rescue us and he brings correction, he brings correction because he loves us. You see, teachable people don't see correction as rejection. If you want to be teachable and you want to have a teachable spirit, recognize that when correction comes from God or from those that God puts in your life, it's not rejection. God puts people and authorities in your life to help you see something that you do not see and you don't know is there. But what happens is when you find your identity in what you do, you find your identity in your job, you find your identity in your kids, you find your identity in your financial status or the things that you have. Can I tell you, there are so many people that I meet and talk with that the challenges that they have in the season that they live in is their decisions are based on how do I maintain my standard and quality of life how do I maintain that and what happens is we end up in this rat race 
And God may be speaking to something in your life and in your heart. And if you would embrace that, it's not God rejecting or God being mad or God being opposed to money or God being opposed to you loving your kids or working hard or or, or moving up the corporate ladder. It's understanding what it looks like in your own life. But when you get correction and the Holy Spirit speaks to you about that, you take it as though someone's attacking your identity. That's why it becomes so hard. But... When you're teachable, you receive that and you recognize it as love. Because when you begin to do this and you begin to recognize that, what happens is you begin to see the danger in the cycle of rebellion. If you're going to develop a teachable spirit, then you have to recognize there's a cycle here. There's a cycle. There's a process that's happening. And there's a difference between foolishness and rebellion. There's a difference between childishness and ignorance, okay? So moms and dads, as you're parenting, don't parent the behavior. Parent the heart. The heart. It's an issue of the heart. It's not to say there's not consequences. It's not to say that you don't have conversations. But what are you moving towards? Do you recognize what God's wanting to do in the heart? Why is this so important? Look at the words in Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 23, it says, For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. That's strong words. Rebellion is like witchcraft. You're like, Pastor Chris, what are we talking about? I mean, I know it's Halloween's coming up. Like, what is witchcraft? Like, they got a pointy hat, and they got a cauldron. They, no, 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 no. Here's what witchcraft is. It is a spirit that comes on your conscience in your mind, and it blocks It is a spiritual, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, the rulers, the powers, the authorities of this dark world. It comes on and it begins to block your mind, your heart from being able to hear God, his spirit working and moving in your life. And the same way you step into rebellion is the same way you step into witchcraft. I want to do what I want to do and I think I can control it. Here is The old bait and switch that the enemy does, it ends up controlling you. No one can tell you anything. You don't listen to sound judgment or wisdom. And it's amazing. People think, oh, I'll never do that, I'll never do that. That's just you saying that, and you're telling me I should listen to you. You'll start doing it with your spouse. You'll start doing it to people that at some point you're going, they love me, I love them. And you thought you would never not listen to that person in your life. It's amazing. No one can tell you otherwise. That is what Samuel's talking about. It is that serious because we have to recognize what's happening here. When when we begin to embrace full-blown rebellion, it's like, I ain't going to listen to anything anyone has to say. I'm not open to anything. I'm not listening. And what happens is it ends up taking over. And we think it's not that big of a deal when it's really bigger than we think. There's a story back in 2019, there's a man in Albany, Texas, about 150 miles west of here. Good old West Texas town. Winds are blowing through. You ever been in West Texas? Those winds blow through. And a guy went under his house. He went under his house to uh, fix a cable. He thought a cable would come loose. He saw a rattlesnake. So he gets out and he calls these rattlesnake experts, come round him up. And they get under there. That brother found 45 rattlesnakes under his house. 45, I don't know, I just soon move, tear it down, demolish it. Here's what those guys said. Here's what those guys said. Let me tell you something, it's like the kids, they got a sloth back there today. I mean, a sloth. I'll tell you one thing we will not have back there. They asked us, no snakes. We ain't have no snakes back there. We don't like no snakes. 
that God created them, but they slithering for a reason. They had one leg. They had legs at one point. They ain't got them no more. Okay, we don't want them in here. So, snake. See, that's what happens. Rebellion is like, oh, I, I just got one or two snakes under the house. No, you got a whole brood of snakes under there. A whole brood. And the guys that came and took it out, they said it's so unique because normally you would not see snakes like this in a, that many snakes in a well-manicured, well-kept yard. But, it, but they said, but snakes will do whatever it takes to survive. That rebellion in your heart, that little seed... It's going to do whatever it takes to survive unless you get real aggressive about removing it, getting it out, taking it out. That's why moms, dads, it's so important that you recognize that and start early with your kids to recognize those things. But how do we get, how, do we, how does rebellion get in our heart? How, do, how does that happen? Well, there's this cycle that I think that begins to happen in how we end up in rebellion. First, it starts with mistrust. Does God really want what's best for me? Do my parents? Pain? Remember, where's rebellion? There's authorities God puts in your life, God puts in your heart. Could be a coach, could be a parent, could be a boss, could, whoever it is, whatever it is. There are authorities in our life. Are you teachable or do you push back? Do you push back? Well, sometimes we end up in rebellion because of mistrust. I see it with young people all the time. So many kids coming from broken homes. There's mistrust. There's pain there. There's pain. And so, can I really trust? I couldn't really trust mom and dad. Can I trust God? Can I trust you? Can I trust anyone else? So there's mistrust. And what begins to happen is then mistrust leads to deception. Deception leads to you isolating. Then here's where really the enemy tries to get the hook in. Is then what he wants you to do is he wants you to identify it. You identify as rebellious. You're not just being rebellious. You are a rebel. You're a rebel. It's the same way shame works. Shame is this, it's that your sin and what you did is who you are. That's not true. But that's what the enemy wants to do. Because then once that happens and you identify it, you can't hear God. It seems like everything is just blocked out. And that cycle just continues to go on and on and on. And you may say, okay, Pastor Chris, I get it, I see. All right, I can either be rebellious or teachable. What do I do? How, how do I navigate this? Well, here, here's what you do. Here's how you navigate it. You ask people closest to you. It's really that simple. Ask your spouse. They'll tell you. Am I ask them, am I teachable? You really want me to be honest with you? Well, no, lie to me. They'll tell you. Ask your boss. Ask a close friend who's willing to tell you and, and will tell you what you need to hear, not what you want to hear. Ask those that God's put in your life. They'll tell you. Why is that so important? Because here's what begins to happen when we begin to recognize if we're operating in pride and rebellion or if we're operating with humility and being teachable. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5 says, All of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud, but he shows favor to the humble. He shows favor to the humble. You know, when I, when I talk to, to young people often and, you know, I love this generation, and I love people that are, like, even just entrepreneurs, people that I was talking to an individual. They're, they're older, but God had put in their heart something uh, entrepreneurial to do. And they're like, man, everyone, no one's sitting around going, I don't want to do anything great. Most people are like, I want to do something great. Or, or, or and if they have a, a deep level of relationship with Jesus, they're like, I want to do something great for God. 
And they're like, how do I do that? And here's what I always coach them to, encourage them with, because I've had to learn it, because it wasn't natural for me. Be humble. Be teachable. If you're teachable, think about it. For those of you that hire employees or, or, or you build a team, you can take someone that's super talented, but they're not teachable, you're like less of them. Give me someone who's teachable and I can do something. When you look, uh, and most of the time, oftentimes, the, the, the people that you see that are teachable, oftentimes in themselves feel as though they're less qualified. So you end up having to encourage them to see themselves accurately, right? But it's humility. Not false humility, humility, because here's what happens. You see, when you're humble, you start low. When you're prideful, you feel real high and good about yourself. But there's always a process that begins to happen. When you're humble, God will always elevate you. But when you're prideful, it's only a matter of time before you're brought low and swallowed. That's what happens. You see, when I think of this story, I think of pride, I think of humility, I think of Luke 15. Story of a prodigal son who was proud. He wanted what he wanted when he wanted it. Basically asked his father for his inheritance, which at that time is essentially saying, I wish you were dead. Because you didn't receive the inheritance until the patriarch was, was gone. The father gives him his inheritance and he goes and he squanders it. Some of you know the story. He's in the pig pen. He squandered it all and now he's eating slop with pigs. Talk about being humbled. Side note, I always pray, God, help me to humble myself and walk with humility rather than praying, God, humble me. I'd rather learn to humble myself than God have to humble me. Because typically if he has to humble me, I've probably been operating with pride and hadn't been listening. The Bible says that the words that are actually used in that moment, it says that the young man came to his senses and he humbled himself. And he went back and he said, maybe, I mean, my servants, the servants in my father's house actually have it better than me. I'm going to go back. And maybe my father will accept me. And some of you know the story, he accepted him. And not only accepted him, he showered him. With gifts. He forgave him. Put him in his rightful place. See, are you teachable? When you're in the middle of transition and things aren't going the way you want. When it's a little, taking a little longer than you thought. When you're having a difficult time and, and you don't really understand, I want you to recognize, remember, we're in this story. They're experiencing the same things principally we're experiencing. No, they may not have ease to upward mobility as much as we do. They don't have technology. They don't have all the things that we have. But principally, we're in this story and they're experiencing the same thing we are. That in the middle of transition, in the middle of change, in the middle of God wanting to teach us something, if we're not careful, we push away from being teachable and walking with humility. And we double down on pride that will only lead to 